Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Clark Acey, Associate Professor of Law at Brigham Young University J. Reuben Clark Law School. We will discuss his article, Artificial Stupidity, which will be published in the William & Mary Law Review. So welcome to the show, Clark. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's great, great to be here. Yeah. The pleasure's all mine. And I was so excited when I saw you post up this this paper on Twitter because the title is just fantastic and just sucked me right in. I had to read it as soon as I saw it. And I was not disappointed. It's it's an excellent, uh, an excellent and remarkably concise paper for uh for a law review article. But but I was wondering if you could start the conversation by by kind of unpacking the title for listeners. So so what do you mean by artificial stupidity and sort of how does it interact with the argument you're making in the paper? Yeah. Um, sometimes you come up with article titles before you come up with the article. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not infrequently. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a little bit what I did here, but really the genesis of the article was um, I attended a, a conference at Berkeley I think two years ago in the fall, really great conference put on by Pam Samuelson and others there. And, you know, they had a bunch of um, academics from a variety of disciplines, including computer science, data science, um, law, um, and others, as well as people from industry. And one of the things um, uh, that I came away from uh, that uh, conference with was just that there i mean we, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence but it, it you know it means a thousand things to a thousand different people um but but the one of the things that came away with was just that we don't have uh general ai or people call that um a bunch of different things but true ai right like ai that's that just sort of goes out and can think for itself and adapt to um, situations readily on its own. Um, really what we've been striving for for um, decades. And I remember in particular a uh, computer scientist um, at Berkeley, a uh, pretty prominent guy. Um, and he, he just went on about, you know, Google, Facebook, they're, they're not doing anything intelligent. They're, they're, their AI systems are really quite stupid. Um, and, you know, we see that all the time with the types of ads we get fed and AI just sort of not really working very well quite often. I mean, you know, it's not to downplay the advances that have been made and sort of a lot of the good things that um, machine learning has done, but, but we really don't have AI, true AI, general AI um, in the sense that, has been, you know, that the computer scientists and data scientists mean. And the techniques we're using, um, you know, that like Google and Facebook, Amazons of the world are, are using are, are really decades old. Um, there's, I think, been a stagnation in AI innovation. Um, and, you know, the advances we see are really a result of increases in computational power and um, access to data. They're, they're not actually innovations in the, the basic underlying AI techniques um, 
and so that was you know that that's sort of the background um to the to the article title that you know we've got this artificial stupidity what are our set of innovation policies um that you know that we have that do they actually promote um or incentivize or or help in any way um, the development of of true ai um and if they don't right then i think we may be stuck in a place where we have enduring artificial stupidity i sort of leave aside the normative question of well do we even want ai right plenty of other people talk about that um i don't this paper doesn't focus on that it's just okay let's look at intellectual property laws how do they fit with incentivizing people to create really spectacular or, or true AI systems? Um, so that's a bit of background on the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if, if I may, I mean, it seems like the key question you're posing in the paper is, you know, how can we encourage the development of artificial intelligence most efficiently? Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I so so my. You know, a lot of the paper is consumed with just basically saying IP rights don't really work um, for incentivizing or encouraging people to create, um, so efficiently create AI systems. And there's a lot of details in the paper about that. At the end, I um, sort of give a head nod to, well, you know, what we really need is not just the market. We need heavy government um, investment in this if we want it to really work because I think the market has a number of distortions that some of which I discuss in the paper about um, and and I think those distortions play a role in inhibiting um, true AI from from developing um, but yeah I think that's the, the, the basic focus of the paper is, you know, here's I here's our IP laws, which presumably are supposed to incentivize innovators to create new and useful things. Um, here's a case study of AI where I don't think um, those laws are working very well. Um, and you know, at the end, like I mentioned, I I point to some possible um, solutions outside of um, the IP regimes. Mm. So, I mean, it seemed to me in the paper, you're really looking at different IP regimes as policy tools and asking sort of like how we in the abstract expect them to work and then thinking about how they're likely to work and what kinds of incentives they're likely to create in relation specifically to artificial intelligence technology and and innovation. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what those kind of IP policy tools are and sort of how the way we normally think about their functioning might not track well onto the intellectual property sphere, or sorry, the intellect, uh, artificial intelligence sphere. Okay. Yeah. So I'll take a stab at it and, and just redirect me if, if I'm not getting it at the question um, you're posing. So one of this conference that I attended, one of the things that really stuck out to me was um, some folks from, you know, the big tech companies were just like AI patents. That's a big question mark. Do they really work? 
Do we even want to pursue them? We're always struggling with that question. And that made me think, well, okay, why? What about AI um, makes patents um, sort of a diff difficult um, tool for uh, incentivizing efficiently AI development? Um, and in the paper, I talk about a number of the drawbacks um, that patents pose for AI developers. I mean, a lot of the competitive advantage um, that AI developers have um, lies in secrecy, right? And just how you implement the well-known techniques at scale rather than, right? The, the, like I said before, the techniques themselves are sort of well-known at this point. Um, so, um, and, and by the way, Jeannie Frommer has a really nice paper along the line along those lines of, um, I think it's coming out in the NYU Law Review. There's Oompa Loompas in the title. Like, oh, yeah, 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 the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. I so, so, I mean, she has a lot of good points on that article, but one of them is just that trade secrecy is, is really, really appealing to um, software and AI innovators um, for a number of reasons. And, and my paper sort of makes similar points on that. Uh, in that regard, uh, just that patents are, 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 I think, an option that increasingly more AI developers are, are opting against. Um, and, and part of my paper, and this gets into the industrial organization part of it, is just that, you know, the big companies, yeah, they might not pursue as many AI patents as they otherwise would. They might make some strategic choices. You know, we don't want to disclose these details. And, so we're going to forego patenting. We're just stick with trade secrecy on this part of it, but they're still going to churn out a bunch of patents. They always do. Um, but I think the smaller innovators are more likely to forego patenting in the AI space uh, for a number of reasons. But one of them is just that, you know, like we don't have a gazillion dollars to spend on patents like the big guys do. So um, we're maybe just going to stick with trade secrecy. Um, in in a broader swath of cases and i think you know the paper gets into much more elaborate detail than i'm uh, obviously able to specify here but i think the part of the result is uh you know maybe a um a more concentrated ai industry where google facebook amazon these guys um you know it's not the only factor obviously that that these startups don't have more patents and aren't able to survive on their own a bit more. But I think there's a bunch of work from Rob Merges and others. Um, Jonathan Barnett at USC talks about, you know, patents, decent patent rights being in place. Um, and they're tapping into a, 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 you know, a huge existing literature um, from economists and business folks. Um, but that, you know, a lack of an ability to appropriate value from your innovations and, and, and patents are one um, significant appropriation mechanism means that you just get gobbled up easier. Um, and like I said, patents aren't the only reason for that happening in the AI space, but I think we do see a lot of concentration in the AI space and it's happening. And I, and I point to some um, you know literature and, and evidence of this in the paper, but the, happening at a really early stage um, and then you know once all the available AI talent and companies 
startups and so forth are getting gobbled up, they sort of stagnate. Um, mm-hmm. And two in those large bureaucracies, I've been in one of those large bureaucracies uh, at Amazon for a while. And I started there when, 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 and they're a bit smaller than they are now, but I even saw as, as we grew that just things just slow down. I mean, this is anecdotal, obviously, but I think it's sort of conventional wisdom um, and there's a lot of truth to it that, that things just slow down and, and sometimes they're buying companies just to kill competitive ideas. And so that's, you know, after reviewing the IP regimes, these policy tools um, and why they don't really work and they particularly patents don't work for the smaller AI entities, that results in this, I think, or contributes to this heavy industry consolidation, which in turn, I think, presents a significant obstacle to getting out of artificial stupidity and instead achieving general AI. And I think that's what we see, right? Like, I mean, these, these companies aren't, they're doing cool, tricky stuff, but they're not coming up with real groundbreaking AI techniques. They're just re-implementing um, well-known AI techniques at scale with a lot of data and from what I hear, not making really significant improvements. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like what you, part of what you were saying was that <clears throat> in a sense, the smaller, more innovative co- companies are kind of more marginal thinkers on intellectual property policy. And so they're evaluating more carefully, like the relative benefit they're likely to get from patents, especially patents in the AI space, where you suggest that, you know, the patents themselves might typically be either weak or very narrow, uh, which is pushing them more in a trade secret rather than a patent direction. And you suggested that incentive itself might um, sort of encourage consolidation rather than competition. Why is that? Why why is why would the move toward trade secret encourage consolidation rather than kind of horizontal competition among firms? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I the the literature that I mentioned before merges and. Jonathan Barnett, and then, like I said, they're tapping into a pre-existing literature. Um, I think the point is, you've got these small-time entities. They don't have any patents, or they have fewer patents than they otherwise would. You know, they get approached um, by a large, you know, incumbent at Google. They're going to face, um, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to compete against those guys as it is. Um, and it's going to be difficult for them not to get swallowed up by those guys. I think the idea is that if you have patents, you have a stronger mechanism by which to compete um, and to realize the value of your innovations and sort of have a more solid footing in the marketplace. Um, whereas if you are just relying on trade secrecy, uh you know, I mean, all these IP regimes suffer from similar problems, but trade secrecy, I think, is generally considered um, a more, this might be the wrong term, but lightweight um, form of intellectual property, if you even consider it a form of intellectual property. 
Um, it's a bit harder to force. It's a bit leakier. Um, I think that's why some, uh, you know, people like it because they think, you know, IP gets in the way of a lot of innovation. So the leakier we can have it, the better. Um, and I, I think that's true in a lot of cases. But I also think for the smaller players, you know, if they don't have robust or significant patent portfolios, even, you know, I mean, they're never going to have the patent portfolios that, that the large players have. But if they if they don't have any patents or the patents that they do have can easily be invalidated or, you know, if they say, well, we're going to use these patents to thwart off competition or um, to thwart off the likes of Google. And those guys can more readily invalidate those patents or or um, just deal with them. And the, the, I deal with this in the paper about why that is so, why um, and I, patents have become weaker in general. I think there's a lot of good things that come out of that trend, but I also am making the point in this paper that I think for these smaller players, that means that, that they are in a more difficult position to realize the value of their innovations. Um, and when they just have to rely on trade secrecy, I think they're more likely to just, um, you know, not continue to exist as an independent entity, continue to work towards um, commercially viable products of their own and, and continue with their AI development um, pathways and instead just say, okay, we'll take the $100 million or billion dollars or whatever, you know, is being thrown at them and just get sucked into these large behemoths. And, and then those pathways often disappear. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think we have more of the same, (laughs) more Mm -hmm. bad ads and more, um, more artificial stupidity. Right. Right. So you also point out in in the paper that the developments in Section 101 patentable subject matter requirements might have special salience for patenting in the AI space, making patents either less available, weaker, narrower, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the extent that we think that availability of patents in the space might make patenting more attractive to smaller, more innovative companies and thereby kind of encourage more innovation in the space. Does that suggest we should be concerned or consider whether as a policy matter, rolling back some of those 101 limitations would be a good idea? Or is is there a reason to think that that would ultimately not be an efficient way of addressing the problem? Yeah, I so... I tend to think that, and I address this a little bit in the paper, but just this idea. So, so I think one thing that some people that have read my paper, especially early drafts, have come away with is that, oh, you're suggesting we should really bolster up patents, and that's what's going to lead us to true artificial intelligence. And I don't, I don't, so I'm not in that camp. Um, I don't, I think, um, bolstering, um, the patent rights, you know, the, I'm sure you know, the Senate or Congress is considering sort of doing away with the exceptions to patentable subject matter right now. And there's a lot of (laughs) chaos, um, in the policy circles about that very issue. Um, I think, you know, you strip away those exceptions, you bolster 
patent rights and take them even it sounds like what some they're considering taking them even beyond pre Alice um, the Supreme Court decision that really was has proved quite significant in terms of I think weakening patent rights or or at least circumscribing their scope right um, I just I, I think if you do that then you get back into um, a lot of uh, not helpful patent litigation. Um, we've seen since Alice patent litigation um, and um, assertions go down significantly. I think that's had a positive impact, um, most likely on um, software and AI innovation and for startups in particular. So it's sort of this, this double-edged sword, I think, that you have, on the one hand, weakening patent rights means... Um, or, or not even weakening, but just circumscribing their scope to perhaps what is invented um, means that they don't have to deal with patent trolls as much. Um, a colloquial or pejorative term for patent search entities, or, um, which are these entities that bring patent claims, often spurious, maybe, you know, sometimes not, but they don't, they don't practice the patents. They just assert them against um, parties that do. And so, Weakening patent rights, you you deal with that problem, but then I think it creates another problem on the other side. Now you don't have to deal with the the the, the patent assertion entities as much, but I think it strips you uh, or, or makes you puts you in a worse position vis-a-vis the Googles of the world. Um, if you don't have um, a, a more robust set of uh, patents for the startup uh, company. Mm. So um, this is why this is what I was referring to as these marketplace distortions. I just think patents, whether weak or strong, present a number of problems um, for AI development. And this is why I resort to, you know what, if we want true um, or, or general AI, this is going to be how... This is, this is going to be something the market's not going to do a very good job of, of producing, um, regardless almost of the state of, of patenting, um, mm-hmm. trade secrecy and so forth. And, you know, you look at the history of radical innovation and very, very often you find heavy government involvement and, you know, heavy investment without the pressures of the market or commercialization or whatever. Um, and, and so I think that seems like the most promising path forward. I think patents and IP in general are present obstacles, um, significant obstacles to achieving general AI, if it's even achievable. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it seems to me that that part of the observation kind of in the background of your paper is that what we really need right now in AI research in order to push forward innovation, whether or not achieving the goal is proves to be possible, um, is is work on kind of really basic fundamental aspects of understanding sort of deep elements 
of sort of the process and the technology and the entire area of endeavor. And, and, and I'm inclined to agree with you that it, it seems like if, if government investment is efficient anywhere in innovation, that's kind of the area where it's most efficient because it isn't so closely tied to, you know, risk reward, you know, developing short-term kind of developing short-term benefits from investments and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right. And I listened to a really great podcast recently suggested by Brett Frischman on Twitter, and I don't have the name of it. I don't know the guy's name. So this is um, totally useless, um, which is, um, I, I could look it up and find it. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the liner notes. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, but I, I, he, he's a guy that sort of, summarizes and puts in words much better than I am these how these market realities and this short-termism distorts things in the AI innovation space. And that if you really want um, general AI, and he's working on trying to achieve that um, goal, um, then you just have to, to some extent, have people giving you money that really don't care about short-term um, returns and, and aren't putting pressure on you like where's the deliverable why aren't you putting anything you know out in the market so that we can start making sales and start recouping some of our investment and and I'm not sure how they're being his party or entities being funded but you know traditionally I think what I'm describing this sort of long-term approach to okay we're gonna have a bunch of trial and error we're gonna have you know a decade or maybe two decades where nothing happens like i mean things are happening but nothing like commercially viable nothing you know we're just not getting there but we're making progress you know you typically i think market um that's not going to provide the solution and i think it's more likely a government um investment thing right Um, and so it'll be interesting i know that United States, other countries, um, Germany has been holding roundtables about what should we do about AI? How, what's the best path forward? Um, and you know, I think entrepreneurial sector, tech sector—they're part of the solution, but they can't be the only solution. Um, and if they are, then I think it's just going to become more and more consolidated, more and more—you know—these incumbents with really significant leverages and, and, and powers in the marketplace. And we'll just keep getting really stupid ads, really stu- bad suggestions. Um, uh, and and there's there's so much more. There's so much better mm. things, right, that we we, we can do and, and should do um, than what the commercial market is yielding, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it's actually kind of ironic to think that this is an area where – the sort of vauntedly innovative tech companies might actually have incentives to act in a more kind of sclerotic fashion. And the government could be potentially the sort of the catalyst for really meaningful innovation. I I wonder if you have any thoughts about what that kind of project might kind of in broad strokes look like. Like, I mean, like if the government wanted to productively engage in AI innovation. I mean, what do you think it might do in order to accomplish that goal? Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like it would start in the universities, right? Really, 
a lot of funding made available to these AI researchers to the extent that they are staying in the university. Often they are being gobbled up too by these large tech companies. I mean, AI talent is so sparse that everyone's rushing to relabel themselves data scientists. Um, but I think a lot of money in the universities, I mean, if you look back at the history of innovation, the, these different labs um, that, that were developed, government labs that, that were, that eventually I think were spun out into companies um, where you just have a ton of money. I mean, money put into it and people just, Really often it would you know often the compulsion was war right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we've got to figure out GPS we've got to figure out um, the internet all these different things because we want to be able to protect ourselves or defeat um, countries that we think are nefarious in their designs vis-a-vis us um, and so that was I think often the impetus in the past for these labs and, and for a lot of the heavy investments. Um, it'd be nice if that, you know, I mean, if we just chose to invest in AI uh, development without sort of the, I guess, the specter of, of, of war or competing um, in that way with other countries. Uh, but, but, but I think that model, um, very generally, I know that's lacking a lot of details, but that model um, of taking some of the funding um, might mean, you know, not stopping slashing taxes or, you know, that, that that's a whole, just that, that looks like books and books and books and books and books and books. Um, but, yeah. but government funding to universities, I think generally has been going down. Um, and I guess my basic point in the paper is, for AI, true AI development, gotta go back up. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got to sort of mm-hmm. maybe delineate amounts yeah. for for this. If we, if you know, another paper, like I said at the very beginning, is if true AI is a normatively desirable thing. Um, that's another mm-hmm. question that requires. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let, let's return to that in, in a second. I mean, I got to say as a fellow academic, um, <clears throat> more government funding for universities sounds great. Uh, absolutely. We should, we should do that. Um, but, but I wonder from, from a patent policy perspective, whether kind of looking at universities as a potential vector for innovation in the AI sector doesn't run into the same kinds of or similar kinds of patent incentive problems that you were talking about in the private sector vis-a-vis Baidol. I mean, after all, universities now have these kinds of weird institutional incentives mm-hmm. to pursue patents and in some cases to de-emphasize non-patentable research. I mean, if that's the case and we want AI innovation to be kind of driven by university research, mm-hmm. should we be worried about potential distortionary effects yeah. from Biden? Yeah, I think I absolutely think so. I mean, look at the whole CRISPR issue um, that played out in, in the last couple of years, um, the, the patent battles that have raged there. Um, I think that's absolutely right that universities have really put an emphasis on monetizing. Um, what, you know, the research that is coming out of them. Um, and there's all sorts of efforts to try to 
emphasize spinning them out into companies and so forth. So I think exactly the same dynamics are in play and can distort and prevent um, true AI innovation. In fact, I think that's a complaint that I heard on the podcast that I mentioned to you, the unnamed podcast, um, that you know he, he sees in a lot of universities a lot of really bright researchers who are focusing their efforts on really narrow forms of AI for precisely the reasons you mentioned, because of patenting incentives um, and the incentives institutionally that have been sort of um, uh, trickled down to them, or not really trickled down, but just like given to them, right? Like this, this is how you're going to be most successful in an institution is you produce a company or you produce um, some commercial product. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big problem. And it's not really one I address in the paper. That's why I said at the beginning, I sort of nod at government intervention. But I, in this paper, at least, I don't get into these really tricky details that, that you're um, highlighting, um, that, that there's going to be a lot of similar problems in that, um, in that setting. Um, but I do think it's the right setting to start with. And then, um, you know, from there, um, the devils and the details as always. <laughs> so, so Clark, in closing, I, I wonder if you could briefly reflect on some of these kind of big normative and maybe even like practical problems. I mean, you know, there's lots of people I, off the top of my head, like you mentioned in your paper, Frank Pasquale and others have raised concerns about even the kind of, you know, artificial stupidity machine learning mm. that we're already seeing kind of characterizing as like a kind of a anti-democratic black box, you know, non-transparent aspect of technology we ought to be concerned about. I imagine some of them will be like, you know, oh, innovation in AI is hampered by the, that's fantastic, yeah. right? That's the last yeah. thing we need is more yeah. innovation yeah. in in this area. And, and I also do wonder about like the, the practicality concerns. I mean, is general artificial intelligence even possible mm. given the technologies that we currently have and are experimenting with? And, and really, I mean, do we like even know how to ask or answer that, that question? I mean, do we have the first clue whether or not it's yeah. possible? Um, yeah, I don't think we know <laughs> whether it's possible. Um, but I think, the path we're on, what we will never know, um, uh, is just is just my half educated guess. Um, in terms of the, but but I think it's worth exploring, right? Like putting some some funding and and, and effort into uh, trying to figure this out, and people are doing that, and 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 the you know some experts in the field that I've listen to are are somewhat optimistic <laughs> that that it is achievable um i another podcast i listened to recently was um that people are trying to program uh, general ai to be um, um charitable <laughs> um so that it doesn't destroy us and everything in its path um but i do think i mean if you you know, the narrow forms of AI, I present this paper uh, to academic crowds. And one of the things that someone raised was, aren't you sort of downplaying what AI has done? And and I probably am, right? Like even the specific narrow forms of AI 
have eliminated as 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 bad as they often are have eliminated so many mundane things from our lives things that free us up to do more creative or things or higher level thinking or high just just higher level stuff right um and and if if sort of narrow specific forms of ai can do that then and this is just a preliminary thought on this but i think general ai it that sounds in some ways at least fantastic right like where you're not having to sort of program and train the module on every little thing that it encounters but instead that ai is going out and being productive on its own and figuring out you know the next steps and and eliminating so much you know stress and and things that that we would rather not deal with on a day-to-day basis so i think there is some real promise there um that that yeah absolutely i think it's something worth exploring now there's all sorts of you know problems that people are doing a lot of great work on addressing the accountability transparency monopolization so forth um and so we need to continue to think about those issues but i don't think those issues mean that we should just give up on it altogether and go back to you know whatever um horse and cart type of um, mentality I, i don't think that's that's the the future we want. Um, and so I do think we should push forward with trying to achieve it. There's a lot of work to be done in terms of addressing concerns relating to privacy, ethics, and, and so forth, a whole host of issues. But the promise of general AI is, is pretty spectacular. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the, on the show, Clark. I, I really enjoyed your paper, and, and I really enjoyed talking to you about it. Thanks, Brian. Loved it. Thanks for having me. Stop.
Where is my mind? Where is my mind?